And so I just wanted to explain why we uh, plunge people into water and take them back out and why we make such a big deal of that. Okay, so we'll do that and then we'll, we'll hear from the, uh, from the three people being baptised. Well, baptism, very simply, I'm just going to move this out of the way because I think I'm going to kick it over if I don't. Baptism, very simply, is the entry point, the start of the Christian life. So I wonder if you've seen the film uh, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, C.S. Lewis's book turned into a film. If you have, then you'll remember that in the film, the children get into the kingdom of Narnia by going into the wardrobe and going through the back of the wardrobe. And when they go through the wardrobe, they manage to make it into Narnia. And baptism can be thought about a little bit like that, that it's as you go through baptism that you come into, not the kingdom of Narnia, uh, but the kingdom of God. Uh, you begin a life following Jesus. You begin uh, a life as a Christian. So it's the entry point and the start of the Christian life. Baptism is not a stage you get to. Uh, you don't have to tick some requirements as a Christian before you can be baptised. Um, it's not about a certain amount of progress or being good enough. It's the very beginning of what it means to follow Jesus. And that might be very well, but why water? Why do we go down and up from the water? And the reason we do that is that this symbolises three important things about following Jesus. The first thing that it symbolises is a cleansing from sin. You'll know that when we get dirty, we often use water to make ourselves clean, whether that's washing our hands or having a shower or, or something like that. Uh, but that can only ever get rid of the dirt on the outside. It can't get rid of the dirt that's on the inside. And Jesus was quite clear that none of us can claim to be perfect, that we've all done things to hurt other people, things that we're rightly ashamed of. Uh, but the dirt on the inside isn't just the things I've done, but the inclination of all of us to put ourselves at the centre of our lives and to make it all about us. Um, that is the thing that most deeply damages us, uh, that most deeply hurts those around us and the world we live in. And that's really the thing that above all makes us dirty on the inside, that we need to be cleaned from. And this is why Jesus came. He came to deal with sin once and for all. He came to make us clean on the inside. He came to rescue us from our own disastrous choices and to offer us a new life. And when we choose to follow Jesus, he takes all of our inside dirt and makes us clean. He takes our sin and our pain, mistakes, our rebellion, our failures, and he offers us his forgiveness, uh, a relationship with the God who created us. He offers us a life that lasts beyond death and the hope and the promise that all that's broken in us will one day be put right. And so when Nina and Mark and Daryl come and get baptised today, one of the things that that symbolises is the cleaning on the inside of their lives. The second thing it symbolises is that just as Jesus died and rose again, it symbolises a death and a new life for each of these people getting baptised. When they become a Christian, they die to their old way of life, the choices they used to make, being king of their own lives. And uh, in exchange, they are given a new life, which is all about Jesus being at the center and following him. And uh, this changes them, but it doesn't happen all at once. If you know any Christians, or if you know Mark, Nina, and Daryl, you may have noticed that they're not yet perfect. Maybe. 
And that's true of all of us who are Christians. None of us uh, is fully the person that God intended us to be. Uh, We've all got a long way to go. But I also hope that you will have noticed a change in their lives since they started getting closer to Jesus. That is the story of all of us who follow Jesus in this room. We're not perfect, but we aren't the same as we were. We've begun to be changed. And that dying to to an old life and rising to a new life is part of what's symbolized in baptism. In the Bible, becoming a Christian is often described as a new birth for this reason. It's the start of a new life. And the final thing that baptism symbolizes is joining the family of the church. Back in the first church, or the first churches, they didn't have baptism pools like this one. Uh, They tended to baptize people in rivers. And what they would do is you would have the church on one side of the river, and those getting baptized on the other side of the river. And, And the people getting baptized would walk into the river, be baptized, and then go up on the other side to join the family of the church. And that's what Nina, Mark, and Daryl will be doing this morning. They have a biological family, as we all do, but today they gain a new family. And it's in the new family that they will find their purpose and place in the kingdom of God. You see, being a Christian is never just about an individual choice and an individual way of life. It's always about following Jesus with other people and becoming part of a community. So that's why today's not just a big moment for Daryl and for Nina and for Mark. But it's a big moment for all of us here who are Christians. Because today we gain three new siblings in our family. And there'll be a chance at the end of the service for you to welcome these guys. uh, To, you know, pray for them, shake their hand, give them a hug, a card, whatever you like. To welcome them into our church family here. And I'd encourage you to do that. So cleansing from sin. A death and a new life and joining the family of the church. This is the kind of life that Jesus offers. And this is the life that Nina, Mark and Daryl have chosen today. So let's hear a little bit from them about why they've chosen this life. Nina, I think you're going to come and join me first. Would you welcome her? Hello. Hello. Say, Nina... Um, you would say that God has always been a part of your life in some ways. So why don't you start by telling us a little about that? Um, hi, everyone. A bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, God was always a uh, part of my life. I was raised in a Catholic family. Um, and yeah, he's, he's been always by my side, more even in the bad moments when I reach for him. And he's been like my support all the way through until today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, some of that start of life? I, I know you've got some notes there, so if you, if you want, I can always hold the mic and then you're able to... That's all right. Okay? Yeah. Uh, yes, I have a very bad start of life um, with problems with my dad with alcohol. Uh, problems with my mom and health problems with my stepfather. I ran away from home very early stage. Um, and I will always be doing the things by myself um, because I, I, I grow myself on that, uh, not knowing how to ask for help. Or I always found around to, f- to resolve everything 
by myself and keeping everything away from everyone. No one knows what happened in my life because I was keeping away. So, yeah, it was a difficult one <laughs> to grow. So you had to learn to sort of survive on your own, really. Yes. And you, I remember you said before that you look back and you think, well, if, if God hadn't sort of kept me safe through those times... I probably didn't be here. Yeah. So um, God was always around, but sort of in the background. And then what happened, what has happened in recent years? What's begun to tell us a bit about the, the recent story? I changed from London here uh, three years ago, running away from some problems. Um, I have a family here with my, uh, my sister-in-law. Um, and I remember one day, Michaela was giving support to my daughter at school. And she came to me one day and said, look, do you want to come on Sunday to the church? Uh, it's different. It's not like Catholic. Well, Christians are different. My answer was, to God is the same. So I come. Uh, I was open-minded about everything. Until that day, I didn't fit in any kind of church. I've been in a lot of them. But it felt family, it felt cozy here, and I felt that I belong here. So since then, um, I've been coming every single Sunday, only on the days that I can't, but uh, it's been a part of my life being here every single Sunday. And yeah, it's been a very good experience <laughs> to come to this new church. And um, you began to realize that you don't have to do everything on your own. That's Yes, yes, that is the thing that I've been growing out of it. Uh, very slow, <laughs> but I learned to ask for help. I learned to divide my problems and ask for advice. I learned to reach to people. Um, and yeah, it's been a little bit of weight taking off of my shoulders, something that I didn't know. It's a long process, I'm still learning. <laughs> But yeah, it's a big step I've been learning to. And all of this uh, change and coming to church, has this led you to, how, or how has this led you to sort of think about Jesus in a new way? Uh, more real. More real. Um, it feels more next, I feel more next to him. Um, I feel more support on him. And I believe, my believer, it's been huge. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, <laughs> I lost in words now. That's okay, that's okay, yeah, I mean, have, have a look at your notes if you yeah. like, it's allowed, that's why they're there. So, because I, um, I know in our conversations we've been having uh, with Liz as well, you've talked a bit about God always being there, but in the last couple of years it started to come a bit closer to the bone and become a bit more of a reality in your life. And is there anything else you wanted to add on that? Or shall I ask you the next question? So the next question is, uh, why do you want to be baptised, Nina? What's brought you to this point today of wanting to be baptised? First of all, I'm tired to be behind a mask, someone that I'm not um, always worried about every other pe people instead of myself. So I want to start to be myself, start a new beginning. I want to be um, next to him. 
and it's like a kind of um, being a doctor or even married. So it's a new beginning for me. I want to be the Nina I should be always instead of being behind, afraid of everything, everyone, what they think, what they're going to do. So, yeah, I want to be free, basically. Tell us just one more sentence, because uh, I remember you talk about it's like getting married before. So just explain to people what you mean by that, because I think it's a lovely way of putting it. Um, yeah, but uh, is, I think it's like you get married. You have a relationship with him. Um, but being baptized is like you're signing a paper with him. So you're being with him for the rest of your life. So it's like uh, a commitment, yeah. So it's the cat I make it on that way. He's like marrying some somebody. Um, yeah, it's the way I, I see it. So, like those of us who sort of stalked our spouses for a long time, it's like he's been in the background, but you're making things official. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing part of your story. Mark, come on up. Give Mark a welcome as well, please. Good to see you. Right, okay, Mark, say, um, we'd love to hear a bit of your story as well. So why don't you also kind of start at the start a little bit for us. Tell us a bit about your background and, and um, your, your start. I'm born in Manchester. I've got a brother and sister. Um, I grew up uh, believing in Jesus, uh, but asking for silly things like Man United winning the FA Cup. That's, that's not that silly. I think that's a very sensible. Um, and then, but then it became serious because I, I come from a very violent background. And when I did pray to Jesus for things that mattered, he, he didn't seem to be there. And then I contacted OCD. Uh, I'm not last it, and if I did certain things, then the violence won't continue. So then I started to do things for myself and turned away from Jesus, basically. And um, I remember you told me before about a, a sort of moment where you was it where you sort of asked God for help, and then things didn't change. And so, do you want to? Uh, I asked God for help. I mean, I'm married and divorced. And I asked for God for help, and I mean, I was involved in gangs and nasty stuff in Manchester, drugs, violence and stuff like that. And I went to Swansea when I was 27. Uh, I met a girl, and a guy came to my house, we split up. A guy came to my house who was a Christian who had been in prison for 20 years for murder, and he was a born-again Christian. and he. I went to church, I prayed for something. God delivered it. And as soon as he gave me what I wanted, I turned my back. Yeah. I walked away and I thought, well, you've served your purpose. Because I was used to doing everything on my own. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. So that was almost one of your first times where you felt God was kind of reaching out to you. But you didn't, didn't quite follow up on that, so... Um, do you want to say any more about that, or do you want to talk about sort of five years ago when things started to change a bit? Uh, yeah, I mean, my daughter's here, so obviously I don't want to go into a lot of details of what's gone on. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, that's fine. But five years ago, I came to back to Dudley, and I met Stacey, and I seen him smiling at me. I thought, I want whatever he's got. Hold on a minute. You've left out a really good bit of this story, which was that someone told you you were going to meet Stacey, and you fully expected there to be a girl. Is that right? I did, yeah. <laughs> Say... Yeah, I thought it was going to be a girl, and it was Stacey. And it, I, I did exactly the same when I... Everyone does. And I seen him, and he smiled, and I kept saying, I'd steal that off you if I could, whatever you've got. And he said, you wouldn't need to, I'd give it you. Mm. And for the last five years, and then Ken, mm. and he's just been changing me constantly. And I've always... I'd never really wanted to commit to baptism, because I always have this sense that I'm going to let him down. And now it's just a, came a point of listen, I can't keep doing this anymore. And it was at your house the other week. And the, the, there was a girl there, lady there, and she said, I'm not ready yet, I'm not ready yet. And I've been like that for a few years. I thought, no, now's the night. Now's the time, right? And I just know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I wonder, if, is there anything else you want to say about kind of why you want to be baptised um, now? Because you, you've sort of said to me that it's like things have started to change in you already. The things have changed. A thing happened the other week that the old me would have been delighted with and would have embraced it. And Jesus wouldn't let me do it. Yeah. And it was very sinful. And I thought, well, it's okay. I can ask for forgiveness. But I'd changed. I couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go into detail, but I was Stacey and yeah. Ken and other people know what I mean about that. Yeah. And it was the first time. It's no good for me. It wasn't about Jesus saying, listen, you've changed. He had to show me. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a very big turning point for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when I said, well, that, and now it's time. Time to have this new life. Yeah. Time for a new life. Thank you, Mark. Daryl, last but not least, come on up. Okay. You may have noticed Daryl on the door for the last few months, but we finally got him 20 metres further forward up onto the stage. Do you want to just go for it? Or do you want me to ask you some questions? Just ask me questions. I'll ask you some questions. Daryl, why don't you tell us your story? <laughs> Good one. Okay. I'm sorry, it's 40 years in the making for to enter here today. So it's quite long. So I will apologise. We've got all the time in the world. Okay. Okay, it's all shaking. My journey has been a long time, like I said, over 40 years before God finding me. And it gave me the opportunity to join Ambercote Christian Centre, where I found my um, Christian family. Over the years, I've made many mistakes and sinned on many occasions and missed some opportunities when God gave me a chance. But I couldn't see these opportunities and I carried on a life. I grew up in a non-religious family. My father was an atheist and my mum was a Catholic. An opportunity missed one time was when I was about 10 years old. My mum bought me a Bible, a big, colourful Bible, and I really liked it and I was fascinated by the stories and I felt compelled to it. But 
due to the family's, like, oh, fuck up words. But due to it, I never pushed it, I never followed through. My family life was good, but in my late teens and early 20s, I started to party hard and caused a lot of issues. I was from a small town called Bedworth, and I started going out in Coventry and Birmingham. I was getting drunk, taking social drugs, and fighting, defending my friends and my honour, and getting into trouble with the police. I also met many women and showed no commitments, even when in a relationship. My friends were all young working men, and this is what life was all about. But I look back thinking, why, why didn't I stop? It never felt good afterwards. But this is what a man was supposed to be. This was me. My friends were all young, oh sorry. Many sins committed and too many to talk about today, but I'll name a few. After one night stands to a woman prior to her marriage, a year later I was informed that the son could be mine. We spoke, we spoke after bumping into each other and she informed me that she was happily married and her husband was bringing up the child as his own. It was agreed for me not to get involved. I was 21 years old and I was relieved. I didn't want this responsibility. Fights, many fights. Uh, I remember one time I was punched in the back of the head because a friend of a friend's girlfriend wanted to go with me. But after he'd done this, he moved to Ireland the next day because he knew there'd be repercussions. Thank you. Fires carried on. I've been glassed twice, stabbed once, but I carried on hurting others and getting involved with anyone against our groups. Life carried on. I was meeting new people through jobs and I started to go Birmingham more and more. But this gave me more opportunity to become a go-between, carrying drugs, legal cigarettes, anything stolen. I was not selling direct to people, but it never stuck. Oh, sorry. I did not make thousands of pounds, but it gave me money to party. I knew this was not me, but I never stopped. But I was living in a lie because beneath the exterior, I was a shy and quiet person from Bedwistel who blushed and had a good heart towards my family and friends. But the more guilty I felt, the more I played up to my image. Even during these times, I can remember on many occasions when returning from a friend's house on a Sunday morning, I would park outside the gospel church and listen to them sing praises to the Lord. And I always was challenging God, challenging uh, preachers on the street who talked about Christianity for any religion. Why did I question if I did not believe in God? I don't know. But I carried on my life as a man I thought was, I was. In my late 20s, I started to look at my life and started to change and I settled down. I'd re-educated myself and got a job as a regional administrator and taken an accountancy course, hoping to one day to become an accountant. The company I worked for was called NACRO and they were involved in a project housing young people. And in talking with them, I wanted to help them and, started, and they started to want to talk to me. Again, another job change. But helping others felt natural to me. Now I realise God gave me a skill to communicate and support people, which is strange, as I stated. I was a shy for myself, as you probably see. <laughs> Again, oh, sorry. My, family, my own family life was going well, and I had a baby daughter, 
and she changed my life. I stopped taking social drugs and cut down my drinking. When my daughter was two, I wanted to explore faith and go to church near me, but my ex-partner did not agree. I missed another opportunity. Another strong calling came when my mum was diagnosed with cancer and I talked to the doctor behind her back and he informed me her life expectancy was 12 to 18 months. Well, I had to carry this burden because no one else in the family knew of this and I prayed to God every day to give me the strength, to give her the strength to fight, which she did for five years. Then on her deathbed, me and my sister was by her side and she was struggling to breathe and we both said, Mum, it's time to go. She slipped away peacefully. Guilt started, ooh, sweating. Guilt started and I never talked about what was said. And then I blamed God for taking my mum, who was the most loveliest person, who was always loving, caring and helping her family and others. Sorry. Such a special person, as I found out when over 300 people turned up to her cremation. I pray now that she looks down on me and is happy and proud of a person I have tried to become. A few years later, I split from my partner and I was changing more and more. I wanted to be a good person and help others. And I had given up drinking totally, which for some reason caused problems with my partner. I love my daughter greatly, but she wanted to live with her mother who lives in Scotland and I had to return to England to sell our house. Again, guilt hit me because I abandoned my, my daughter. Now I was alone, so I threw myself into work, trying my best to support others, less fortunate. I look back now and realise some of this was to prove I had become a good person from the person, the bad person I was. This was eventually not enough, and in June, 9, June 2017, I had a breakdown and was off work with mental health. It was getting worse, and eventually I exploded as a family member verbally, and I was living with my father at the time, and he asked me to leave. I became homeless for six months, living in hotels, cars, in a car, and on my friend's floor in Wales. During this time, a few people sh showed what good people they are, and I made contact, and he so supported me regularly when I was in Wales, and made sure if I ever came over to visit, we'd meet up. So I would like to say a big thank you to Ronnie, he's not here, to John and Paul, work colleagues, and others I met, like Elaine. Um, where was I? But another one who offered me was our Stacey. He invited me to visit every two weeks to have a chat. I knew him before through work and we got on, but this time I was pulled to him. I was suffering anxiety and depression, but when it was due to see him, I found the strength to travel. We talked about anything and not much about God or the church, but I remember on three different occasions he prayed for me. These were the signs that God was looking for me. First time, my hairs on my arms shot up. He prayed for me, and this spooked me out. A second intervention, I had travelled to um, Bradley Hill Project from Wales, 
The weather was grey and miserable, and it had been snowing a, a little. We had our chat as normal, and then he prayed for me and have a, to have a safe journey home. I was not looking forward to it, thinking of the weather was going to be horrendous. But when I opened the door, it was like a sunny day in June and not a rubbish day in November. After this intervention, I started to get a calling and we discussed Ambercoat. And he said, pop down when you're ready. The third intervention, over the next few months, my mental health improved and I applied for a council house flat in Raleigh Hill. The flat did not come through, but I got a flat in Ambico, which no one else made a bid for, which is amazing as usually such a popular area, and now I'm near the church. After setting into the area, and after Marcella came over, I eventually got the nerve to attend here. Even if I suffered with depression and anxiety still, I had the strength to walk through the door. The moment I walked through the doors at Ambercote, I knew immediately I had found my Christian home and the family. And even through my health problems last year and Marcella not getting a visa, I no longer blame God, but accept his wisdom and path for me. I would like to uh, thank you all for welcoming me, but a special thank goes to Stacey and the two Tims for giving their time and knowledge to help me learn the Bible. And, they are, and also the, the members of the study class where I'm attending. Which by which he means our small group, but we do work hard. <laughs> Questions. My uh, agreement to be baptised came, came about one day. I'd been thinking, should I or should I not? And I'd just finished a study class with Tim, and he just turned around and said to me, would you give up your life for Jesus and follow us path? He chooses for you. And the answer was yes. And today I'll give myself to the Lord and Saviour. Isn't it great to hear some stories of God at work in people's lives? In about... Five or six minutes, the kids are going to come back down and we're going to uh, baptise Daryl, Mark and Nina. Uh, we're just going to read one bit from the Bible and I'm going to give you two or three thoughts to go away with before we baptise them. To also give Roxy some time to round the kids up. There she goes. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn with me to the book of Acts. But if you don't, that's fine. I'm going to read it out. And I'm going to read out the story of another person who met Jesus uh, somebody called Cornelius. It's in Acts chapter 10, if you have a Bible and you want to turn there. And I'm going to read um, the first seven verses and then skip forward towards the end of the chapter. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave charity generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your charity have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with another Simon, a tanner, 
whose house is by the sea. When the angel had spoke to him and departed, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier and sent them off to Joppa. So Cornelius' men go to Joppa and they find Peter who has his own uh, vision and his own encounter with God. And then Peter goes back to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius tells Peter the story. And then we'll pick up the, again in verse 34. So after Peter had heard the story, he opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. For as the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the Jews who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on those who weren't Jews. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then he stayed with them for a few days. Now I wanted to read this story this morning because it's got something important to say to us. Um, I wonder if you have in your minds a sort of mental picture, an idea of the kind of person who becomes a Christian. Uh, I, I think I do sometimes. Uh, even if you're not a Christian, I wonder if you've got an image in your mind of the sort of person who does end up joining a church. And it may be that sometimes our mental picture is somebody who has had a tough life, who really needs some help. Come on in, kids, you can come and sort of sit around the front near the baptism pool, but behind the tape. And if some adults want to come and sit with them, that would be really helpful. So we might have an image in our head. We might think of somebody who really needs help, whose life has gone wrong. And that, um, that can be true. We've heard a bit of that in the stories of, that we've heard this morning. But we've heard something else in their stories this morning. I wonder if you picked it up. We've heard the desire to live a good life and to be a good person to do the right thing, to help other people. Story is a bit like Cornelius. Cornelius was trying to be a good person. He was giving money to charity. He was known as a fair man who worked for the good of his community. To use today's language, we would even say he was a bit spiritual. He was open to spiritual things. He would pray, meditate perhaps. He'd probably describe himself as a good person with good morals, trying to live a good life. And I wonder if you identify with that this morning. But as we read, what Cornelius discovered was that God was pleased that Cornelius was trying to live a good life. God was pleased with what he was trying to do. But 
it wasn't the kind of life that God wanted Cornelius to have. You see, despite Cornelius's good life, he didn't really know God. He didn't really know what it was like to have his sins forgiven. He didn't really know what it was like to have God come and live inside of him. He didn't know what it was like to really get to know Jesus and to have a personal relationship with him. There was so much more for Cornelius than just trying to be a good person. And you've heard Mark and Nina and Daryl's stories this morning. And the question I want to leave you with really is, what do you identify with in their stories? Do you identify with things in life that have gone wrong? Difficult experiences with needing help? Do you also or instead identify with really trying to be a good person, trying to live a good life? Because whichever or both of those that you identify with, you can discover that there is a life that is so much more than that. More than trying to be a good person. But a life where you can really know God personally, where you can be filled with his power, where you can truly be forgiven.